Father in heaven, we rejoice in your word. You direct us uh, as we had the moment of reflection that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so this morning as we turn to the Scriptures here in Ephesians, we ask for that transformation to take place within us by the enabling of the Holy Spirit and Your grace. Father, we cannot do anything in and of ourselves. Apart from You, Lord Jesus, we can do nothing. You are the vine and we are the branches and we are in need of being united with You. So as we come to You this morning, Till our hearts make them fertile ground. Let us absorb the Word. Let us take it in, but let us more importantly live it out. Not as individuals, but as one body. In Jesus' name, Amen. So last week I I began this short little mini-series. Sounds like a TV show. Um, Back to Basics. And I want to bring three messages. Lord willing, we'll have one more next week. Last week, we, we talked about the foundation of the church. And I said, the, uh, Acts 2.42 would be a theme verse for Trinity this year. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Those four foundational items become the pillars that the church used at its inception. They were given by God's grace. That's what made the church grow because the end of that passage in verse 47, it says, and they added to their number day by day. And so as we had met as elders earlier this month and I had Challenge them to, let's get back to basics. Let's do the things that really matter. And the other things, let's push out of the way. And so these messages are to encourage you twofold. One, to do the same. Get back to the basics. Get back to the Word. Get back to fellowship. Get back to prayer and worship with one another. And then look to Christ to then grow you yourself in maturity but then also, Lord willing, to grow this body. Because that's the means that He uses. And that passage last week we talked about, and I didn't stress this very much, it was back to the basics, kind of the theme of this mini-series, but then forward to fruitfulness. The way we bear fruit is to cultivate our own walk with the Lord, our own relationship with the Lord and with one another. So last week was foundational. This week, it's back to the basics. Learning, maturing, and speaking. And to put it simply, it's an application of those foundational items. How do we apply those to everyday church life? And when I say church life, I'm talking about a people. We That term church is, it has its own definition now. When we use it, people in the world think it's a building. They think it's an institution. I listened to a teaching elder two weeks ago uh, at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, and he made this point. He says, the church is not an institution. The church is an organism. It has a life within it. It is the people of God. And so we want to apply these foundational items to our lives. Uh, 
And so we're going to have three aspects that we talk about this morning that is learning, maturing, and speaking. Or you can think of it this way if you want three points. The means of growth, the goal of growth, and then the last one, can't believe I forgot, medium of growth. There we go. Learning, uh, maturing, and speaking. So that's what we want to look at this morning. Now, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, actually my favorite book in the Bible. And it's, and it's interesting because in the book of Acts, Paul talks about his time at Ephesus and how the gospel went to Ephesus and the people there rioted because the gospel turned the world upside down. More appropriate is it turned the world, at least within Ephesus, right side up. The gospel changes. And in Paul's letter here to Ephesians, he does something beautiful in that he lays out all the objective truths of the Christian faith in the first three chapters. And then he gets into the practical application of those doctrinal truths in the latter three chapters, four, five, and six. But this back to the basics that we're talking about is another way for us to tell you where we are going as a church and how we are going to get there. You've heard me before speak about of the Vine Team or the Vine Project. It's a book that's just teaching us to look at Scripture and how the church is supposed to be with regards to mission and vision. And you will hear me say this over and over again. The mission of the church, the vision of the church is not one person's mission and one person's vision, nor is it a plurality of the elders' mission and vision. It's Jesus Christ. It is His mission and His vision for the church. So what Paul does here in Ephesians, very beautifully, it says, let me show you, let me put on display what the mission and vision of the church is here at Ephesus and for the rest of the world. It's a truth that was true for them. It's a truth and a plan for us. So if you know chapter 1, God lays forth the Father, His plan for the ages, and those doctrinal truths of what God does on our behalf. It's beautiful. It talks about this plan that was developed before the foundation of the world and how we are completely and fully Blessed in Christ Jesus. Because it's through Christ Jesus that we are reconciled back to God. And that's the basic message that takes place in chapter 1. Oh, it talks about other wonderful things too. How we become sons and daughters of God. It, It talks about how we have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Washed clean. How we are given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. To enable us. To give us the power to live a life in conformity to Jesus. That's chapter 1. This is God's grand plan. This is what He's doing. He is gathering a people. Now, one of the things that I want to pause for just a moment 
I want to let you in on just a, a little secret. This master plan of God gathering a people to Himself. Because it's something that I've had to learn in my Christian walk. We all need to learn this. When I first came to faith in Jesus, there was a lot of things that I did not know. But I learned a secret through being taught and being discipled. You want to know the secret? Let me tell you the secret. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And it's about His people. In Western society, we, we have a blessing and a curse. We are one of the most industrial nations in the world. One of the most free people in the world. But we have an attitude problem. We are so individualistic. It's all about us. Have it your way. Do what you want to do. We are so self-centered in everything that we do, it's not even funny. Look at social media. Every posting is about yourself. In general. I'm getting preachy. It's not about us. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. But we are just one part of the body of Christ. One part. There is no individual part that is more important than the other. No pastor is more important than another. No deacon is more important than another. No elder is more important than another. And we're going to see that in the passage today. We were all rescued. We were all liberated. That's the message that comes in chapter 2. I've given a message on that before. And sometimes we hear that. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But God made us alive and delivered us out of the control, the dominion of Satan and sin. Sometimes we hear that too much. And it doesn't quite have the impact on us. So let me make it a little bit more vivid picture for you this morning. In the Old Testament, Israel is in Egypt. They are slaves. They are having to make bricks. They have to gather their own straw to do it. They are beaten because they can't make the quota of bricks. And they cry out to God. And God says, Moses, as a deliverer. Now that comes straight out of Scripture. Can you see how they're enslaved? And that slavery that they have represents bondage to sin and to Satan? But let me make that picture a little bit more vivid for you. My wife loves to read. Her favorite genre is World War II literature. She likes to read uh, stories about World War II. Some are fictional and some are based on, on true stories. We recently watched a, um, one of the books that she had read, um, The Light That... All the Light You Cannot See. It's a good story. If you haven't seen it, you should read the book and then watch, watch the show. But I was thinking about that this week. And I thought about World War II. And I thought about a time that Gail and I had been to the Northeast and we had went to a Holocaust Museum. 
Between late 1944 and the summer of 45, Allied, Allied troops, Russia, Italy, U.S., Britain, were all converging toward Germany. One of the things that they found were the death camps, the concentration camps, Auschwitz, and others. Allied forces went to one in the summer of 45. And when they got there, they couldn't believe what they saw. But they delivered, they liberated over 20,000 prisoners. People that were malnourished. People that had been beaten and abused, experimented upon. They had no control of their lives whatsoever. The sentence for them was one of death. There was no hope, no life. And yet allied forces, a collection of people, a body of soldiers came and rescued and delivered and did a work for them that they couldn't do themselves and defeated the enemy. It is interesting to hear the stories of those who were liberated and delivered. Of the sheer joy, of the sheer love for their deliverer. For those who set those captives free, their lives are indebted with gratitude. That's a picture of salvation, brothers and sisters. We're not just ones that come and pray a prayer and receive the benefits of salvation like it's a transaction at the grocery store. I'll take this head of salvation. Here's my payment. And then you take it with you. That's not the way salvation works. Salvation is of the Lord. Chapter 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You needed liberation. And you were transformed, transferred out of sin, out of slavery, out of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of the Son. That happened by grace through faith. Chapter 3 says that all of this was but a mystery, but it has now been made known to the church, to you and to me. That message going into chapter 4 is it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ and His church. And so let's see how we take these foundational items that were true of the church of Acts and how they are applied to the church at Ephesus and how they are applied to us. So one of the things that you see in this chapter as Jerry had read so beautifully earlier is there's a manner in which we're all the same. We're all the same. Whether it was we were dead in trespasses and sins, we were the same. Or whether we were transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, we became one people of God, one new humanity, one new race. We became Christians like Christ. 
And with that transformation came a character that we are to have that is the same. We're to have humility, gentleness, patience with others, bearing with one another in love. We're to have unity and we're to maintain that unity. There is a work for all of us to do. If you look around this auditorium this morning and you're honest with yourself and you're looking into the faces of people around here, there's going to be some that you go, I don't know that I really liked him that much. I, I, I don't know that hmm, I would go somewhere and have dinner with them or something. We have to remember who we were and what we were delivered out of. And the one who delivered us, Jesus Christ, He didn't look at us and say, I don't really like them that much. I'm not sure I want to go to the cross for them that much. You know, look at the way they do things. He loved us because He loved us. Deuteronomy 7 that we read. When we begin to understand the love of Christ for us, His church, we will love one another we will begin to notice that we not only are the same because what He's done for us, but we have the same testimony. There is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we are but one family. Because the Father is Father of us all. And so this oneness, this community, this people of God that we've become takes those four foundational things of the apostolic teaching, of fellowship, of worship and prayer. And then we try to apply them to our lives. And that takes place as we look in this passage in verses 11 through 16. And it begins with a means of growth. It begins with learning. And it begins with the spiritual gifts that are given to the church. Now there's a forerunner to this portion of Scripture that talks about Christ ascending and descending, what you need to know about that is when Christ went to the cross, He paid for our sins. He conquered Satan, sin, and death and His power over us. And like a conquering king that comes back to His people in a march of victory with the captives behind Him, all the bounty, all the booty, all the treasures that are taken in that victorious war are then dispersed. And the picture is Christ took and gave mankind, humanity, those of His, spiritual gifts. There are four passages in Scripture Some of the gentlemen of the church taught last summer on spiritual gifts. But there are four chapters that speak about spiritual gifts. And it's Romans chapter 12. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's here in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's also in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I'll tell people all the time, spiritual gifts you can remember by 12-12-4-4. Where do I go in Scripture to see what, what the spiritual gifts are? And most 
scholars, most commentators, and the way I was taught in seminary is the spiritual gifts can be generalized, so to speak, into two buckets. Gifts of speaking and gifts of service. But everyone has a gift, at least one gift, if not more. But the most important for the church to begin to apply these foundations of the faith are given to pastor-teacher. It says that there's gifts of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. There's not time today to get into each of these gifts and what has ceased and what has continued on. The gift of evangelism. The gift of an evangelist. Someone who is gifted to be able to present the gospel to anyone at any time. We all have that responsibility, but some are gifted at it. It just comes natural. They can walk up to someone and start a conversation. The next thing you know it, they're talking about Jesus. Gift of evangelism. The other is, though, shepherds and teachers. And these are, are two parts of one gift set. And so the means of applying these foundational things start with learning. The means of growth. Elders are told in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that they are to be able to teach. That they are to rightly divide the word of truth. That they are to make known to others what the Scripture teaches, what it says, and how it's known. So the first application when we talk about the apostolic teaching, the whole of Scripture for us, that is to be applied. Elders are to teach. Whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's through community groups, whether it is one-on-one meeting with someone, shepherding others, teaching the Word of God. It should be to show you what the Scriptures have to say and then how you can, as the call is at the beginning of chapter 4, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You're to be taught. We know how to teach. Elders are supposed to teach that way. Like a good father. Think about when you were a child or if you have children right now. You teach them every single day. You're teaching them how to eat. You're teaching them when it's appropriate to sleep. You will teach them at the appropriate time how to walk. You might grab their little hands with your fingers and kind of guide them as they take their first steps. You will teach them everything that they need to know to mature in the physical life. But you as a parent are also to teach them in the way that they should go. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. Elders are to teach our people so that our people become learners of Christ. And then they become teachers to others to teach them about Christ. It is a learning community. And it is to continue. We never get there. How many can raise their hand and say, yep, I've, I've got it. I am like Christ right now. I'm done. Not even close. 
We constantly have to be reminded, and elders become that facilitating device that God has given to the church to teach us. But not that we just take that information and that knowledge in for ourselves. It's to be shared. It's why the gospel is called the good news. Anyone that has a child, we see the birth announcements, we see the postings and everything else. You tell the world, I had a baby boy, I had a baby girl. That's good news. We, we need to be as excited about the gospel as the birth of a new child because it brings new birth for others, spiritual birth. So the means of growth is through elders teaching. And here's something just for the elders. But I want you all to hear this. I learned this a long time ago when I was being discipled and I was first asked... Um, Hey, Jeff, do you want to start teaching? I'm like, yeah. Sounds good. Okay, third grade. What? Yeah, third grade. You're going to teach third grade. Jeff, you've done such a good job with the third graders. We, we don't want you to continue teaching. We want you to just follow them and teach fourth grade. And so I taught fourth grade and did it again for fifth grade and did it again for sixth grade and then did junior high and then did high school before I ever did adults. But here's something for you elders that I learned a long time ago. And it's this phrase. The teacher hasn't taught until, until the student has learned. The teacher has not taught until the student has learned. We need to be patient, not impatient. We need to be gentle and kind and come to our teaching with humility. We, we, we need to bring it in at such a level that is loving and gracious. We need to ask for confirmation. Do you understand? Does it, does it make sense? Let's talk about this some more. This isn't a race. We don't have to continue and get this done today. It may take some time. So the teacher hasn't taught until the student has learned. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Jeff, these back to the basics, you're talking about the mission, vision of the church and discipleship is, is that vehicle of extending the mission and the vision of the church. And yes, I want to be discipled. So you find someone to disciple you. Keep that in mind and say, I need you to teach me. And I need you to make sure that I learn what I'm supposed to learn. Joanne Brown is a tutor for math. And she gets kids of all kinds that come and they just don't get it. I, I, don't, I don't understand. And Joanne Brown is one of the most patient, loving teachers. And she sticks with the student until they learn. And there is a, a glorious rejoicing on the part of the student and Joanne when they do. Well, this is the means of growth. We're to teach. Now, what are we to t teach for? What are we supposed to be this learning community for? What is the goal of this teaching, this learning? The goal is growth. Spiritual growth. 
It says, for the building up of the body until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Again, if you're a parent and you have a child, you will begin to consider the education of that child. It'll start with elementary school, kindergarten. It'll go through the elementary age categories, the grades, middle, junior high, and high school. And you'll probably aspire for your child to go to college, to continue their education, to to develop the skills and the knowledge and the maturity to be fruitful and thrive and function within society, to be socially mature, to be intellectually mature, to be physically mature. And hopefully you don't leave out the spiritual part and spiritual maturity. But this learning is not just for us. It's for the building up of the body. Again, it's not all about us. It's not just us. As I said before, erroneously, I thought it was about me when I first came to faith. I was told that Jesus was the answer. He, he can help you with your marriage. He can help you with your work. He can help you with your parenting. He can help you with this, that, and the other. All those sound, things sound great, and He can do that. But again, it's not about us. And sometimes we get frustrated and go, okay, when is the Sunday school class? Or when is the community group teaching? When is they going to talk about things that I can apply directly to my life? And again, the secret is it's not all about you. Think of a body and how it functions together. It's one. I get an itch on my shoulder. I use one hand to scratch the itch. I have pain, a cut, or something on my foot. I use my hands to do that. There's different things that I can use. What God does through Christ is He takes His plan, His grand plan, and He superimposes it on our lives. So that every aspect of His plan becomes our plan, our purpose. So it doesn't matter whether we are talking or working on marriage or parenting or anything else. This plan of learning Christ affects every aspect of our lives. Tony Payne is an author of The the Vine. He is the CEO of Matthias Media. And I just want to give you an idea of, of, of this here and how this, this works out because we do tend to get frustrated at times. You know, I have problems with marriage. I have problems with relationships. I have problems. When, is, when are you going to just teach me how to take care of that? Like it's a transaction. And Tony Payne says, it, it's not that. It's this overlay. This is pre- precisely when God's purposes collide with our own. I am vitally concerned with my work my study, my family life, my money, my ambitions, my comfort, my security, and pretty much anything else that has the word my in front of it. But what is God's purpose and priority for our lives, for the church? It's not that we have a good and fulfilling career. It's not that we 
build up financial security. It's not that we find the perfect man or woman to marry. It's not that we give our children the best life. It's not that we maintain a healthy body or lifestyle. It's not that we enjoy all the good things of His creation. And it's not even that we get involved at church and put ourselves on a lot of volunteer roles. God's most important agenda item under which everything else fits is Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. It's all about us being conformed to His image. It's all about us pouring into one another. When we come here on a Sunday morning, when we gather as the people of God, try to prepare for those gatherings. Tell the Lord, help me not make this all about me. Help me to recognize someone else. Help me to pray for someone else. Help me to encourage someone else with words from Jesus, with the Gospel. Help me to pray for someone. Help me to think about how I can take that person and move them in their relationship just a little bit closer to Jesus. It's the body functioning together. We're to grow up to maturity. It takes learning to make us mature. But that maturity doesn't breed arrogance. It does just the opposite. It breeds humility. It breeds grace towards others. It makes you think of more others more highly than yourself. To have the mind of Christ Jesus as Paul puts in Philippians chapter 2. So the goal is maturity. And finally, the medium of growth is speaking. Verse 15 says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it, it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As I said, spiritual gifts are in two categories. Those of speaking and those of service. This word that's used here for speaking, speaking the truth, actually means truthing in love. As I speak and as I do, it will be the truth of God's Word. The truth of Jesus Christ. How to apply it to my own life and the lives of others. We want to speak to one another. Paul will say in Colossians that we proclaim, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, proclaiming to one another the Gospel and hymns and songs and spiritual songs. We want to speak to one another the truth, whether it's a word of encouragement or, hey, brother, you need to avoid that. You need to get back here, a little correction. Bring them in to one another, but we speak. When we're transferred out of Satan's dominion and sin and transferred into the kingdom 
of Christ, we learn a new language. We learn the language of love. We learn the language of the Gospel. Anyone that's done any kind of mission work, the first thing before they go to another country is they do language training. They learn the language of those people and how they can communicate with them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. When we come into the church, when we are converted, when we put our faith in Christ, we're transferred from that kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of sun, we learn Christ's language, the language of the King, the language of the kingdom, the Gospel. A good way to see the content of this language, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are the words we want to encourage one another with all the days of our lives. And the beauty of learning and then maturing and then speaking within the church, this body, is it prepares us then to step out and speak to the world what we've learned. How we've grown like Christ. How they can grow like Christ. And how to speak to them. When you practice something, over and over and over again, you get confident in it. This is a safe place for us as believers in Jesus Christ to share the gospel with one another. After the sermon, before the sermon, after Sunday school, those are prime opportunities for us to speak to one another, encourage one another. Hey, what did you think about that today? Or how, do you, how are you doing today? How did this week go? It was a rough week. I know a brother that had a difficult week. He and his wife. Praying for them is important. Could do that after the service is over. Hey, how'd things go? What's the update? Let me pray for you. How encouraging that is. Words of encouragement. We want to learn, we want to mature, we want to speak. Those are the things that we are to do as the body of Christ. When we do those things, when we apply those things, I believe, just as it was in Acts 2.47, and the Lord